Morning, Westridge. Good to see you today. And uh, man, I just love the words of that song, don't you? God's love. Well, it's good to be back here with you today. We're continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation. Today we're looking at the letter or what Jesus had to say to the church of Thyatira. Now, my grandson is playing uh, basketball for the first time. He's in second grade. We went to watch him play a couple of weeks ago, and there's one word to use to describe what took place on the court, and I think the word, good word is chaos. Okay, I mean, that just describes it all. So my daughter-in-law went in to sign him up for, for, uh, for basketball, and somehow in the process ended up becoming the coach for his team. You who are parents understand how that can happen, right? Now, my son, he works midnights as a cop in Urbana. Uh, he helps her when he can, and I had the opportunity to go down and, and run a couple of practices with her. I coached basketball for uh, quite a few years at Mantino. And one of the first things she taught them was how to properly play defense. And she said, okay, here's what you do. You get your stance, feet shoulder-width apart, rear end down, hands up, get ready to shuffle, right? I mean, that's what I, I did, a couple shuffle drills back and forth across the court forward so she could see, she could show them how to do it. I won't do that here because I don't want to fall down. But anyway, this, there is a proper stance to take so you can be ready for the people who are coming toward you, right? Now, today we're going to talk about overcoming evil. Now, we all know evil is a reality in our world today. And there are different stances to take with the approach of evil. So I was doing some history reading earlier in the week, and Neville Chamberlain came to my mind when we talked about this topic of, of approaching evil. He was a prime minister of England back in 1938. He chose the diplomatic practice of appeasement when it came to dealing with Adolf Hitler. Hitler demanded the return of Sudetenland to Germany, and Neville Chamberlain appeased Hitler. Now, appeasement means this. Appeasement is a policy of making concessions to an aggressive party in order to avoid conflict. And he made this point after conceding the land to Germany. Here's what he said. I have secured peace for our time. Missed it by just a little bit, right? Now, looking at this, I thought of a quote from George Santayana. Here's what it said. Those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Now, you've noticed Darren and Greg both talked about this pattern that occurs in the seven letters to the churches in, in Revelation. And Jesus, as he speaks to them, he, he begins his, his letters to them or his words to them with words of commendation. He says, here are some things you're doing well. Here's what he said to Thyatira. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So he's saying, good job. But following that are words of condemnation because the people of the church were engaged in practices that would harm the church over the long haul if they were not addressed. And while the church had a reputation for love and for service and growth, they'd chosen to practice appeasement when it came to the evil that was encroaching upon them. Friends, I believe we can learn from history. I believe we don't need to repeat mistakes made in the past, and that's why history is an important thing to study. And that's why these letters, what Jesus had to say to these seven churches, are very valuable for us here today. We don't, know, we don't make the same mistakes. So the key thought, while conflict with evil is inevitable, we will face it, we do not need to choose the easy road. Evil can be overcome. 
Hey, the city of Thyatira, it was the smallest of the seven cities that Jesus spoke to here. Not an influential city politically or even strategically. However, it was a center of commerce. It was well known for its trade in wool and especially for a purple dye that was uh, known throughout the, the Roman Empire as a very special dye. It was a city that focused on manufacturing. So there were a number of trade guilds in Thyatira and they were functioning in the city. And each of these guilds, had their own God. And what they did, they asked their God to give their guild favor so they would make money in their businesses. And this was a prevailing culture of the, of the city that surrounded the church in Thyatira. Now what had happened, it appears as though the church had allowed the culture around it to infiltrate the body. So Jesus speaking to the church says this, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leading, leads my bondservants astray. So they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So the reference to Jezebel goes back to the Old Testament where Ahab, and Ahab was described as the most evil king who ever led the nation of Israel. He married this woman from another country, Jezebel, and her entry into Israel as a queen ramped up evil to an even greater degree, and it got really, really bad. Now, what it looks like here in Thyatira is this woman was a part of the church and had influenced the church to accept the practices of the guilds around them in order to make things easier on the people of the church. And the result of, if, if you look at the other letters to the church of the Revelation, we, this is the, the fourth one we've looked at now, Jesus warns the church about destructive behaviors. But most of the time, to this point in time, Jesus has warned the church as like a group text, addressing everything. Now here, he's speaking right to this woman, Jezebel, to begin with. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. If Jesus were to say, I have this against you, Lance, it would cause me to go, uh-oh, right? Right? And here's what he's saying, Jezebel, I have this against you. Now, she must have been a prominent member of the trade guild. Uh, during guild parties, here's what would happen. They would, they would eat food all together to, to, uh, to celebrate their guild. But before they would eat, they would sacrifice the, mo- the meat and the, and the other food items to the god of the guild. And then after they would eat, then the drinking would commence. And, and with the drinking, uh, the guild gods were brought out and they would have, uh, well... Uh, they were fertility gods, so there'd be a lot of sexual immorality taking place here. Now, it appears that the influence in this church had convinced the people in the church, many of them who had been employed by the guilds, to just go along with what was normally taking place at the guild parties. Uh, she was saying things like, we don't want to offend the people in the guild by not doing what we used to do. And maybe she was even saying things like, hey, yeah, really, we can do the old things we used to do and we can follow Jesus. I mean, what does it matter? Well, it does matter. Jesus had very stern words for this person and for the church that had chosen this stance against evil. So in the middle of the condemnation, uh, and the condemnation for these actions here, Jesus does give hope. Now, there's several things. He talks about how he has given her time to repent, to turn away from her actions, even though she didn't do it, And he says this phrase, to him who overcomes. Now, when I hear that, I hear that. I hear these words, I recognize that there is an expectation and an assumption by our Lord that we can overcome evil. 
So the question is, though, in the midst of what's taking place around us, how in the world do we overcome? Well, I think there's a couple of things we see. First of all, I think we need to be aware of it. Anyone who watches the news is aware of the presence of evil, right? I mean, there are times I just turn it off because enough's enough. I don't know any way to put it. But this is not the evil Jesus is warning about here. Jesus is warning against the type of evil that seeps into us. It, it infiltrates very insidiously. It, it creeps in. It, it looks like this. Let me, let me show you. Surprising, I brought something with me. Okay? Pure water, right? Now, I have some evil in my pocket. Now, Kool-Aid, I was told by a seven-year-old after first service, Kool-Aid is not evil. Okay, Kool-Aid is not evil, but we're going to use it to represent evil today, okay? So, so let's see what happens when we introduce evil, even though it's just a little bit. Let's just do one little squirt, okay? Now, here's the deal. It may appear to come into us, evil, evil approaches us, kind of easily. And I mean, how much difference can it really make, right? The, the problem with evil is, the, the more it comes in, the easier it is to let it in. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I, I certainly have. And, and here's what happens. As, as we let it continue to come in, before we know it, it has influenced everything. And it changes everything. You know what I mean? Because all of a sudden, this pure water now has a distinctive look and a different taste than it did have. Doesn't take much to make a difference. And yet, if it's allowed in, evil can change everything. So here's what Jesus is saying to the church here. Watch out. Watch out. Now, I must admit, I'm pretty insulated from evil. I, I really am. Uh, many times I'm not even aware of what's going on around me. I'm kind of clueless. I remember a prayer walk I was taking in Austin with, uh, with Dwayne Choice, who's our church planner there in that area. And uh, we were walking around, and Dwayne asked after we walked and prayed, he said, was there any time, was there ever a time when you were nervous during our walk? I said, well, yeah, there's that one time. He said, well, tell me. He said, well, there, those two guys were up on the porch, and then there was another guy walking down the street toward us. And he said, well, that was, you were wise to be. Those were, those were drug runners, okay? He said, did you see the drug dealer in the car we walked by? I said, nope. <laughs> I would drive my cop son crazy, okay? Okay, I really do sometimes. I said, no, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. Dwayne said, well, he was right there. He said, I was watching him. I said, okay, well, thank you. And thanks for telling me about it ahead of time. Okay, anyway, in my lifetime, I've been pretty insulated from evil. It affects many of our world. Look at this picture up here. Now, this is one way to deal with evil, right? Okay. By the way, ostriches don't stick their head in the sand to hide. They couldn't breathe if they stuck their head in the sand, right? But he, she is moving her eggs around is what she's doing. But they stick their head in the sand to move their eggs around. But many people approach evil this way, right? Hey, I don't see it. It's not there. But it is but it is. And we think maybe if we ignore it, it'll pass us by. I won't be troubled by it. This may have been the approach of the church of Thyatira. I don't know, to Jezebel and her followers. You know, what they're doing won't affect us, will it? Well, the trouble is, yes, it will. Yes, it will. See, here's the trouble. The, the 
evil, the influence of evil and, and culture, it can sneak up on us. It makes appeasement appear to be the best option. I read a, few, a book a few years ago that detailed the uh, challenging cultural trends that face the church. The book was entitled The Frog in the Kettle. This was the, this was the description on the cover. It said, place a frog in a boiling kettle of water, it will quickly jump out because it's aware the environment is dangerous. However, place a frog in a kettle full of room temperature water and then slowly increase the, water, the temperature underneath it until it reaches boiling point, and that frog will swim around in the water until it boils to death. And the question was asked, will the Christian community be like the frog? The church here at Thyatira was a frog in room temperature water. The heat was beginning to increase beneath it. And Jesus warns the church that do not tolerate those teachings. They're leading you away from me. And he speaks of her unwillingness to repent. And he promises you will suffer punishment for what you've chosen to do. Again, he's talking to this lady. Here's what he says. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. So there's always that hope there. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now this is the longest letter to the seven churches. It's also the sternest letter to the seven churches. Maybe it's because they had so easily buried their head in the sand to escape what they felt was the danger of giving in and going to the wrong side of the trade guilds. Or the community leaders. It is not inconsequential to allow evil in. See, the real danger is not repenting. There's always hope. We can pick ourselves up off the road and turn to follow Jesus. But when he corrects, we can't afford to do nothing with it. Since I read this letter, I can't help thinking about my own life. How easy it is to fall into the trap of just going with the flow. Not being different from the world around me. Of giving in and, and taking the easy road because uh, it's easy. <laughs> it's just, bottom line, it's easy. And I say, well, I don't take part in sexual immorality or wild living. Oh, there's always danger, okay? I don't do that. But there are plenty of times I simply ignore the things that will have a negative effect on my life. And I practice that, eh, it won't hurt me. It's not going to affect me. Even though it can, if I let it in. Now since this is the case, okay, since evil is real, I think there's a stance we can take to defeat it and to overcome it. And here's the stance we take. We, we need to battle against it. So here's one of my favorite verses. James 4, 7. Submit, your, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Great promise here, okay? So Jesus, speaking to the church of Thyatira here, speaks something very important to the end of the, at the end of the letter. He says, to him who overcomes and does by will to the end. Now here again, we're, we're told in this, we can overcome. We can battle against evil, and we can win. And this is what I hear from these words from, from James. That, hey, we simply need to fight, to give some resistance 
and not give in. <laughs> I'll be honest, too often I find myself fighting God and submitting to the enemy, okay? But I'll tell you what, when I fight the enemy, he does run. Satan is a chicken, okay? I mean, just put it, I'll, be, I'll be straight out to you. He's a chicken. He can't stand resistance. Now, there are different ways to approach battling the enemy who seeks infiltration. Now, here's what we can do. We can sit back on defense, okay? We can just take the shots as they come, right, and weather them. I've refereed a lot of high school soccer in my life. I've done some coaching to soccer. My my youngest son is a soccer coach. And I'll tell you what, Sometimes you play a lot of defense, especially when the team against you is more, uh, is more is superior to you skill-wise. And you can just hunker back and play defense. Or say the wind is blowing toward your goal at 25 miles an hour. You're going to play a lot of defense, right, on that one end. And that's okay. But I'll tell you what, I don't like just playing defense. I, I played college baseball. I like playing the field. I much preferred standing up with a bat in my hand. Okay? I like hitting. I like offense. And so we can take the offensive here. Now, guys, I'm not saying we be offensive. Okay? I'm saying we can take the offense when it comes to this. This is the good news. We don't have to just play defense against evil. We can take the offense against it. What is it. How do we do that? Look what it says. Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, what does it say? Good. Overcome evil with good. It appears to me that we have ammunition for being on the offense. And it's good works. I mean, what happens when, when God's people choose to do good, even when evil's around? I took a trip to Miami a couple of years ago. I visited a, a friend of mine who was starting a church in Little Haiti. On the trip through the neighborhood, you could tell it was not the safest place of the world to be, okay? I'll be honest, you could see groups of, of guys on different street corners, and that was in the middle of the day, it's just not the, you know, the, you know nefarious activities going on, okay? In fact, later that day, my oldest called me. He was on duty at the sheriff's department where he was working at the time. He said, hey, Dad, where you at? And I said, well, I'm actually in Miami. So what are you doing there? I said, well, I was just visiting a friend's church in Little Haiti. He said, Little Haiti, Dad, what in the world are you doing? That's not a place for you. Here's what I told him. I said, well, maybe not most of the neighborhood, but where I was, God was there. Because here's what Bobby, Bobby, Bobby started a church in his home, and when he and his wife bought their house, right across the street from their house, where the drug dealers hung out, where the gangbangers were, he said there was always a group of 10, 15, 20 people there, all day long, doing activities they shouldn't have been doing said, me and Natalie, we began praying for this neighborhood. And we walked around the property and we prayed. He said, we, we bought computers. They had all kinds of computers spread out in their living room and they would invite neighborhood kids in to learn how to, how to work computer programs. Uh, Bobby had a, a job, job, job training seminars for young men and young adults. He started a landscaping business so young men could be employed all across that region of Little Haiti. Natalie had a hair and beauty salon that she operated out of her her back, out of her garage, and she trained young girls how to be beauticians. And Bobby, we walked around this property. I said, I don't notice any bangers and, and dealers. He said, no, no, they've moved away. 
They're two or three blocks away now. Because he said, what happens is that things change when Jesus moves into a neighborhood. And I recognize what I was seeing here. Because when, when Jesus moves in, light shows up, right? And, and light overcomes darkness. Darkness is not overwhelmed by the light. No, no. The light overwhelms darkness and makes the darkness run. And that's what we're seeing here. I mean, that's why I saw a little Haiti. I've seen it in Austin. I've seen it in, I've seen it in, in St. Louis. I've seen it in Roseland in Chicago. Light makes the darkness run. This is why I like, I love the job I have starting churches around Chicagoland, being a catalyst for that. Because what we're doing with every church we start, we're putting a light out there so the hope of Jesus could reach into people's lives and lives can be changed forever. Because that's what Jesus does. Every one of us can take the offensive against evil by showing up and doing good deeds in the name of Jesus. See, Jesus told the church of Thyatira, hold on to what you have. In other words, keep doing the things that I've commended you for. You're doing it. You're doing it well. Do it and do even more. And everybody says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, just as I've received authority from my Father. And I will also give him the morning star. Now, that, that last phrase there caught my eye. The morning star is the last star seen in the morning before dawn breaks. If you've been out early in the morning, you've seen it. It's a real bright star in the, in the sky. It shines. And it is the harbinger of a new dawn that is on its way. And that's exactly what happens when people come into a relationship with Jesus. Because people find a new day dawning. The darkness goes because the light has come. And this truth is for everybody. Doesn't matter where a person's been or what a person's done. In Jesus, we find a new dawn. Now, I'm going to stop here. I'm, I'm going to ask you to consider putting into action a couple of things in the week ahead, okay? First of all, I believe we're only as strong as our connection to Jesus is. We have no power on our own. I see it kind of like this. I can push this button all I want to, but if I don't have the power source, nothing's going to happen. But when I'm connected, suddenly I can shine. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to ask you to pick your Bibles up and read. You don't have to read a lot. Just put something in, right? Read for five minutes. Uh, go to the New Testament, read the book of Mark. Mark, I think that's a good one to start with. I just finished that up today in my Bible reading before I came today. Uh, read Mark, chapter, whatever, five minutes. Think about what you've read for five minutes and then Talk to God and ask him to help you put it into practice. I'll tell you what, as you connect, power begins to flow. And that's the second thing I see here. Practice awareness of evil. Uh, it's, it's all around us. The other night I was, watching, I was watching a TV show that had some very questionable activity taking place. And I knew, I knew it wasn't appropriate. But I let the first one slide, okay? But when the second, the second action came on, I shut it off. I said, enough. 
enough. I, I know what's good for me. I know what's not good for me. Now, I can't let the wrong in because when you let the wrong in, you begin to be infiltrated, right? Now, I'm not always as dialed in as I should be. It took me two times, okay? It took me two times. I'm sure you can be a little more dialed in than I am, okay? But be aware. Be defensive. But also, let's go on the offense. We overcome evil by doing good. We don't, have, we don't do good to earn brownie points with God or get a better seat in heaven. We do good to battle evil and bring the light and hope of Jesus to people who need to see him, see the reality of who he is. So I don't know the good you're called to do in your neighborhood, in your home, your school, your work. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that as you connect with God and you ask him to help you see what you're supposed to do, he'll show you. I have no doubt because I know what he does for me. He will show you. So what I'm going to ask you to do this week, take a step, take a step, look for a place of darkness, and shine, shine. Do something good to show Jesus. For some reason, the church at Thyatira had allowed evil to have access. And Jesus said, you can't live that way. Fight fight. So friends, let's do battle. Let's do battle. Let's be shiners of the light. Let's do the good actions, the good deeds that Jesus has called us to do in his name. And let's let's fight evil off. And as we do, other people see Jesus in us and through us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the calling you've given to us to be shiners of light. And I pray that in the week ahead, you will give us each one opportunity to see a a place of darkness and just uh, do something that will shine your light into that place. Whether it be talking with somebody or praying with somebody or stepping up and doing something. I don't know what you're going to call us to do. I pray you'll help us to be open to be light shiners. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen.